right now. Um, basically, right now with the stock market, you're kind of seeing um, a little bit of a correction. Um, I know as of today, the tech stocks started to recover just a little bit. Um, and uh, they were um, they were getting hammered pretty bad last week. If you bought a lot of the heavy growth companies, those are the ones that got slammed the most. Uh, the, the, the high growth stocks, uh, the reason the high growth uh, stocks got killed is because uh, a lot of their valuation is based on uh, economic potential. A lot of it's based on uh, projections. And uh, if you remember, uh, remember at the start of the pandemic, they were making all these projections of how many millions of people were going to die and everything else, you know, and the proje- a lot of the projections. It's not to say that people didn't die. We know that they did, but it wasn't nearly the number that they were talking about in the beginning, right? Because they, they wiggled a little bit, you know, sometimes with this stuff, if you, with these models, and a lot of the models in finance that model stock prices come out of biology. And so uh, basically what happens with these, so that's why, that's why, for example, whatever model they use to model the, the spread of the virus is probably a cousin to the models that are used to, to, uh, how, to measure the value of a stock, uh, to figure out how stock is uh, a growth company is going to grow over time. So with these models, when you're making these crazy long-term projections, what happens is that if one little variable gets manipulated just a little bit, these models are so sensitive, you know, they're just like, like my 10 year old, like if you just say boo, she starts crying and everything. And I'm like, come on, you got to start, stop being so sensitive. Right. But she's not a grown man. Right. So, so, uh, so at 10, she's very sensitive to any little thing that changes. Right. Uh, so basically with these models, they're, they're kind of like that 10 year old where any little thing that changes, any little uh, perturbation in a variable, any little change in the discount factor or the interest rate or inflation or whatever is going to cause the prices to just plummet and just just literally go into a temper tantrum. So what you saw was kind of a, a financial temper tantrum. You saw these stocks just, you know, crumble into little pieces, kind of um, like, you know, Alicia will come in and she'll say, oh, oh boy, Taylor had a meltdown. And I know what that means. It means Taylor, you know, who's normally very confident and just goes out and just does great things. But, you know, she has this moment where something will make her crumble. And then suddenly it, the house goes into utter chaos just like that. Well, when these stocks have a meltdown, that's what can occur. That's why uh, if you're invested in companies like that, you know, maybe maybe you know, Tesla is actually a big company that has big temper tantrums. Right. You saw Tesla got body slammed. Uh, in Tesla, a lot of Tesla's valuation is built on things that don't yet exist. A lot of their valuation is co- connected directly to potential. And uh, and so when you try to sort of outrun reality that much where you're making projections 10, 15, 20 years down the road, like you're like, well, by the year 2040, this company should own 20 percent of the industry. Well, a lot can change between now and 2040. They were making projections of 2020 back in the year 2000. And most of those projections are wrong. So just be careful with these companies. Uh, they're doing pretty well today. They're actually making a, a big move, like you know, companies like Tilray and stuff like that. But uh, you got to be really careful with that, okay? So, um, <clears throat> but overall, the market overall, the blue chips, which I hope that you are invested in the blue chips, S and P five hundred, big companies, big companies with big valuations, stable companies. They've been moving pretty strong for about three or four days, and um, and a lot of that's because uh, when, when it's all said and done, you have a strong economy. Your economy is going to get better. Uh, life is is improving on the economic front in the United States. Vaccines are being distributed. Uh, they are uh, the stimulus package is on its way, even though Congress is about seven months late. Uh, there are also jobs being created left and right. People are buying things again, so that's going to create more jobs and more possibilities. And so, if you have an overheated economy, you can have an inflationary problem. Inflation is is, is a killer for these uh, high growth tech stocks. So. So just be really careful with that part of your portfolio, okay? All right, so um, I'm going to go to the first question here that was submitted. 
like I said, if you log in at the blackstockmarketprogram.com, right at the top, there's a section where you can submit your questions. So you can have them submitted uh, early. And what I'll do is I will answer your questions first in our Tuesday meetings, which happens every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern. Uh, and there you go. All right. So Shante Brown says, uh, Dr. Boyce, how can I donate money to the Black Business School or the endowment? Please explain. Uh, well, you know, what, Shante, I'm going to tell you, I do not want your donation. Um, I love you so much, uh, but I do not want a donation. We're not a charity, um, even though I appreciate it, though. I'm not in any way being critical of what you know. I love the fact that you want to support the things you believe in. And and we do need, you know, we, we need resources in the Black Business School to do the things we want to do. Uh, but I would prefer that we do a trade. I would prefer that we do an exchange, right? So if you want to make a donation to the Black Business School and you want to see the Black Business School take off, sign up for sign up for a program. You know, all of our programs are really, really good. They're better than anything you ever took in college. Also, they come with a 30-day, 100% money-back guarantee. We have programs for the entire family, like the Black Wealth Boot Camp, uh, which is a lifetime membership. It doesn't cost that much. Uh, you know, I, I know people that spend $10,000 taking a mediocre class at a university. Well, we can be lifetime access. I think it's four ninety nine or something like that. So blackwealthbootcamp.com. That's um we, we meet for the boot camp every Thursday. I do a boot camp about twice a year, but the beauty is that you can once you sign up, you have access to every boot camp that we do forever, right? So you can bring your family members next time. And uh, and it's just designed to really break down all the different ways to understand black wealth and get off the corporate plantation, learn how to make your own money, things like that. So so uh, if you want to help, either sign up for something for yourself or maybe gift something to someone. Like you can actually call uh, email support at theblackbusinessschool.com, which is actually our customer support. So we have a support team that's on standby all the time waiting for you to message them about any issues, any questions, anything you, you'd like to find out. And basically support at theblackbusinessschool.com. They can guide you. Like if you say, I'd like to make a donation, I'd like to buy something and have you give it to someone else, then we can do that. We can arrange for someone who uh, is um, uh, struggling economically to receive the scholarship that you've created for them. So uh, that that's the best way to support. Uh, we, we don't really want to, we're not a 501c3. Uh, we are a business and we want to build this business and make it into a university. Because as you know, um, last night, Alicia and I did a long video where we were talking about Dr. Cornell West and his mistreatment at Harvard University. And I personally get sick of that stuff. I think it's silly, ridiculous that our best and brightest are begging these universities to be nice to them. I hate that. It drives me insane because they don't do that with us. They don't beg us for anything. So I would like to actually see black people own universities. I would like to see us own our own institutions and really taking over the education market. I believe we can do that. And I believe we're better at it. This past weekend, we had Black Experts Weekend. I got to brag about this because it was really good. We had 30 Black experts in every single area uh, that you can imagine. And they came in and they talked about everything from, uh, you know, making money as a social media influencer, making money. Al Duncan explained how he's made over $2 million giving speeches, right? We had people like Justin Burns come in who created Maestro, a teaching platform that's similar to Teachable. Uh, we had people that came in and talked about everything from, PR to creating an online class to everything else. And so um, so we really have what we need. We have all the professors that we need in our community. I think black people should, earn, should learn from black people because when they're learning from white people at these universities, they're being mistreated. And think about this, you know, what, how much sense does it make to go $100,000 in debt to someone who doesn't even like you that much, who didn't, who barely even wanted your money, who doesn't even want you there. So uh, I, I would rather us just educate ourselves. I think we can do that. And, uh, and most importantly, uh, you need the right kind of education. You need education that's culturally relevant. 
where you're gonna be taught how to build the black community. Many of us, our best and brightest, we have a brain drain problem where our best and brightest are going and building for the white community. They're building white corporations, they're building white universities, right? I think that we should be building things in the black community. So it has to be culturally relevant. It also has to solve problems that we have uniquely as black people. Like, um, I don't know, like my credit's been bad since I was little because my mama put the electricity bill in my name when I was two, right? That's not a typical standard problem for a lot of people. Or I wanna start a business and they told me that I should go borrow half a million dollars from my friends and family. Most black people can't do that, right? So, or, or they tell you that it takes three to five years for a business to finally become profitable. And well, they say that in business school, if you have three to five years to wait, most people I know only have three to five months before they have to become profitable. So there's a the requirement of shifting of the models, shifting of the focus. And so that's what the black business school is all about. So, uh, you know, I, I hope you guys will, will hear us when we say that, because that's an important part of our mission. And that's why we do things better than a lot of people do. All right. So let me uh, go into the next question. Uh, let's see. Uh, good morning uh, from Philip Wright. He says, good morning. I have some money to invest in businesses. So I make a calculated risk choice in business investments. Shall I hire a consultant advisor or business investment coach to assist me with my investment decision making? Do you have a recommendation? Um, I would say yes, you need you. You would want to get an advisor if you're talking about buying an existing business. I suggest somebody that can at least dissect the finances of that company to make sure that um, that you're getting what you think you're going to get and also making sure that you your rights are protected. So uh, a lawyer, what comes to mind are people like a lawyer and an accountant. Um, those tend to be a pretty good part of your arsenal to really get to the bottom of what what's actually there. Uh, buying a business is a tricky thing because you're taking on something, uh, a business, think of it like a human body. You know, if you if you were to, not that you would buy someone's body, right? We got past that in slavery. But if you imagine that you you know, that, that someone says, hey, I want you to come and live in my body, right? Like you can, we're going to get in this machine and you're going to live, you're going to jump out of your body and live in mine. Well, you'd want to know about that body. You want to get a complete scan for uh, any viruses, any diseases, um, any, uh, maybe any hereditary conditions. Um, and so ultimately I would say uh, making sure that you do your due diligence when you invest in another person's company or you partner with another person. Uh, in fact, there was a brother who did a presentation at Black Experts Weekend, which, by the way, if you want to see the recording, it was really good. You can go to blackexpertsweekend.com. That's blackexpertsweekend.com. And he actually explained um, why you need a prenup for your business. Uh, that a lot of people jump into business with each other and they don't know much about each other. Other Maybe they know that they're friends. Maybe they play basketball together or they go to church together, but they don't really know. Doing business with somebody is tough because you're, you're dealing with this person every single day or at least a few times a week forever like forever, like you're literally economically marrying that person and the marriage is, is documented. It's on paper. You got to be real careful about who you go into business with or who you buy business from. So I, I would start there in terms of recommendations. Gosh, I, you know, email, I, I, I'm so bad with remembering just all the names and, and everything. So email support at the black business school.com. I'm sure we have a faculty member somewhere that, that does that kind of thing. Nobody comes to mind immediately, but if you email support at the black business com, tell them what you're looking for and they can find somebody and recommend them to you. Okay. Uh, let's see here. Um, next question, Shante, Dr. Boyce, what is a market correction? Please explain. Yeah. Market correction. Um, now there's a technical definition of a market correction. I'm trying to remember. I want to say it's 10%. Um, I, I believe it's 10%, uh, 10% decline. Yeah. A correction is a decline of 10% or greater in the price of a security asset or financial market. So basically uh, a correction just kind of means, look, you know, prices got out of control. It got a little bit wild up in here. 
Now we're going to just bring things back to earth and get normal again. And nothing, you know, nothing to see here. Nothing, you know, nothing bad. Just, um, you know, we're just going to drop the value of your assets a little bit to kind of make things right. Um, a, a bear market is when you go 20% down, uh, 20% down in the value of the asset or the commodity or the financial market. When you drop 20%, then you got kind of an issue. There might be some fundamental issues. It's like the difference between, you know, catching a really bad flu versus getting pneumonia. When the market drops 20%, it's got a little pneumonia and you need to find out, it, you know, if this can be cured, you need to be very careful. You also need to find out if uh, if it's a, an indicator of an even deeper problem that you may have. So uh, so right now, you know, this was a correct, this was in correction territory. This was uh, a flu, uh, maybe a really bad cold. But uh, in I would say in those growth stocks, you might end up having, you, you, you definitely have some pneumonia. Uh, a, a lot of it is because these companies were overvalued in the first place. Uh, now, K- Kathy Wood of ARK Investing seems to remain very confident with her portfolio. Uh, Kathy Wood invests in a lot of these high growth industry disrupting companies. And uh, I like Kathy Wood. I like her style. I, I like the way she structured her team. And she seems to feel that everything's going to be perfectly fine, that she's actually doubling down on her positions. And uh, and I think that that should be heard. Um, what I chose to do was I, I actually dug deeper in a lot of my positions. I, I just said, you know what, let me just buy the dip. And that's what you do. You just roll with the punches. And I'm not telling you what to do. I'll just say that for myself, um, unless there's a cash flow issue, what you got to worry about is when the market dips. If you're buying on margin, things like that, then you start getting margin calls. And that's why you keep cash around. Like I, I keep my cash around almost like the fire department. You know, my cash is available in case my, my assets start to become uh, distressed assets. When assets become distressed, um, if you borrow money from a bank to buy like a hotel and the valuation of your hotel suddenly drops and you have a really terrible year, your big concern is not so much that you're not making money in the moment. That might go away in a year. Your bigger concern is that your partners start to get nervous and shaky. When people start to see stuff going down, they start saying, whoa, wait a minute, what's going on here? Like, hey, let me let me go and get my money. Let me abandon ship, right? So your biggest partner in a lot of cases is your bank, right? So the bank that loaned you money, they might have loaned you half a billion dollars to build that hotel. Um, they're going to be like, okay, you know what? Your, your equity valuation has dropped uh, below a certain point. We need you to put up some cash to let us know that everything's going to be okay. And if you can't put up the cash, then you may actually have to uh, lose the business because of liquidity issues, because then you got to start selling distressed assets. You're literally not just selling what you own, but you're selling at the worst possible time. Like that's the part that sucks, right? When you have this, this stock that was at 70 and now it's at 50 or 40 and you got to sell it at 40 because you don't have the cash to maintain your position. So cash is a defensive, um, a defensive asset. It's, um, Again, I call it, I think of it as the fire department because it's like, they call it liquidity. So fire department has water, get it. And, and so I, I tell, I joke with Alicia, I say, you know what? I got, uh, we had a bad week with the markets on fire right now. Things are burning down. I got to call the fire department, which meant that I had to move a lot of cash over and prepare it to go in and protect my distressed assets that I purchased that I was earning my options income from. Right. But I have different portfolios. I have my I have my crazy wild Bronco portfolio, the one with the high growth tech stocks that were making so much money this year. I sell options on those companies. I love to sell options on those companies because everyone loves to buy options. When the price of an asset goes high, you should you should be a seller. You shouldn't be a buyer when things are overly overpriced. Um, I like to sell. I don't like to buy options all the time. Uh, and then I have my safe portfolio, my kind of balance, you know, blue chip, you know, S&P 500 long term buy and hold standard fundamental portfolio. And then I have my crypto, you know, and my crypto is, you know, it does what crypto does. But the beauty of crypto is that crypto is not 
overly correlated with the crazy stocks, right? So I got my crazy stocks going crazy. You know, market that part of the market's burning down, right? Last week was just a bloodbath. I mean, you if you own like Workhorse, remember we've been talking about Workhorse. Workhorse chopped in half. Like Workhorse went from 30 something a share to $15 a share. And it, it wasn't just because of the systematic factor. Systematic means things that are affecting the broad index. Workhorse dropped also because of what we call an idiosyncratic factor, meaning that it was specific to Workhorse. Workhorse was supposed to get that contract with the Postal Service and they didn't get it. So suddenly it's like, oh, okay, well, you know, you were like, we thought you were the next LeBron and that you were going to the NBA. Now we find out that you didn't even get drafted. Well, now your stock has dropped tremendously. Right. So so uh, but I like Workhorse because I like electric vehicles. I think the company has good management. And I did. I just I dug deeper. And the other thing that protected me was that I'd sold so many options on Workhorse over the past year that I actually doubled the value of what I had from not even from capital gains, but actually just from selling the options every week. I didn't buy Workhorse because I wanted to put all my money on the line. I bought it because I like selling the options. These are golden gooses and they have really valuable eggs and you sell the eggs and you can make money from that. If you don't know how to buy out, sell options and things like that, or how all that works or over the process, feel free to have a stock options masterclass. You can go to stockoptionsmasterclass.com if you want to go see the recording of the masterclass. It's really good. We the, the, the concepts are laid out really well. All right, next, 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 next. Let me see, next question. Um, uh, let's see here. All right, so the next question. And by the way, you can log in at the blackstockmarketprogram.com. Go to the top. There's a link where you can uh, submit your question. I will answer your questions first. In our Tuesday meetings, we meet every week for class Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern. Um, So feel free to uh, come to class. I think you'll gain something from it just by sitting back and listening. Jeffrey McGowan says, listening to Dr. Boyce's session on January 22nd, he mentioned three people in his family that are working together in the wellness industry, his sister-in-law in in Yoko Green Book, et cetera. My question is, I like, uh, is is, uh, what I like to do the same for black men, wellness, health, could I set a time to, for with Dr. Boyce to discuss? Okay, Jeffrey. So yeah, you're talking about Yoga Green Book. Yogagreenbook.com is um, was created by my sister-in-law Carla, my wonderful, beautiful sister-in-law who who gave us to, um, gave me gave me my first nephew and niece, and I uh, love her so much and I respect her. Carla was an engineer who didn't want to be an engineer um, full time. She uh, chose to start a business, and now she's got Yoga Green Book. Uh, because, you know, yoga is just great for a lot of health reasons. Now, um, what he's referring to is I was talking to you guys about when I did um, I did a special lecture for you guys. If you go to the uh, Rules of Economic Self-Defense, I think it was I can't remember if it was um, EconomicSelfDefense.com or uh, Black. I can't remember what it was. I, I can't remember the, what the URL was. BlackEconomicDefense.com. I think it's BlackEconomicDefense. Yeah, BlackEconomicDefense.com. There's a lecture in there that I did called the, the Rules of Economic Self-Defense. And one of the things that I laid out was I explained to you all how we do our weekly family business meetings. Every week I get together. I have two weekly meetings uh, regarding business and family. Every black family should have a family business. Every black family should have a family business. Every black family should have a family business. I said that three times because I need you to make sure you remember that because every family should have a family business. So there you go. I said it four times. And, uh, and one of the meetings is with my broader family. And what we do is we just we just talk. There's no pressure. We just sort of let it let everybody know what you're up to so that you don't feel like you're doing this alone. Uh, so you can share resources. You can share ideas. You can invest with each other. You can support each other. Right. Not every relative uh, can be invited to a meeting like that because not every relative is serious. Not every relative can be trusted, to be honest with you. So we we, we do pick, you know, who who gets invited and who doesn't. It's not a mean thing. It's just what we do. Um, the second thing is uh, the second meeting I have is 
Alicia and I get together with another couple and the husband and wife, they have their individual businesses. Alicia and I have our individual businesses and we go around the table. We meet for breakfast and we go around the table and every person talks about their greatest achievement of the week, um, where they are right now in their business and what they're trying to figure out, what they're trying to do next. Like, like, what are they going to, you know, like, how are they going to go to the next level? And what we do is we then jointly problem solve. So we then share ideas with each other to help each other figure out how to get to the next level. What you also find, though, is that these synergies emerge. And that's what he's referring to in his question. The synergies, for example, in our family is I say, wait a minute. Um, Alicia's business is, is, you know, you know, couples coaching and she's a psychology expert. Um, uh, my sister-in-law's business is, is in yoga. Uh, my, my sister, uh, is, is kind of, is an expert. She's a medical doctor, but she also specializes in helping people deal with things like burnout and stuff like that. So what they talk about is like, Hey, why don't we get together and do like a women's retreat? Or why don't we uh, form a product together? Or why don't we promote cross-platform with each other? Cause you also got, you know, uh, Boyce, you know, your, your crazy relative Boyce who, who's got a couple things going on where maybe he can step in and help a little bit. Right. So what, so what's going on here is you're basically helping each other survive. Like you're embracing a part of economic theory that that's that animals understand. Even animals get this. Some black people don't, but animals get this, uh, that you're better off together. You know, African, the African proverb, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. So when you're out here trying to do this thing or do anything, you got to say, who's my tribe? Where's my clique? Where's my gang? Where's my group? Right. you got to find if you don't have a group. Um, well, the black business school, we've got groups. Right. So feel free to participate with what we, we're doing. Um, but find people around you that you can actually bounce ideas off of and talk to. And that will help you to become successful. Um, let's see. Does Dr. Alicia mentor? Well, I don't think I think she's overbooked with coaching clients. Um, but if but her website is coaching with Dr. Alicia dot com. Um, I don't tell her, you know, what to do or who to see or anything like that. She makes that decision. Um, but she but you can get on our waiting list or maybe see what, you know, maybe fill out the intake form. Um, it's coaching with Dr. Alicia dot com. So feel free to go there and take a look if you'd like to um, talk to her about, you know, she, you know, she likes to do relationship coaching and stuff like that. That's her specialty. And she's a full professor of, um, of social work, which very few black women become full professors. That's a big deal in academia. Um, you know, Cornell West is trying to get tenure. Well, what happens is you get tenure and then you become an associate. And then if you, if you're really good at what you do, you become a full professor. So she's really, 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 she's a world leading expert in her field. All right. So next, um, next question, let me, uh, pop in here. Oh, okay. How do you set a time with Dr. Boyce? Um, if you email support at theblackbusinessschool.com, you can do one-on-ones with me. Um, I don't do a lot of them, and they are not cheap. So uh, you might be better off signing up for a program or a class. Uh, but if you really want that one-on-one that is available, uh, you can email support at theblackbusinessschool.com. And I do a couple of one-on-ones each month. I don't do too many, but I, I do some every now and then. All right. So let's see here. Um, Daria Webb, based on Mark Cuban's comments, should Dodgecoin be considered an option when buying crypto? Well, let me talk about Dogecoin, uh, Daria. Uh, Dogecoin is is um, it's it's kind of the poster child for what it means to create a worthless asset and to get people to buy it in the middle of a market frenzy. If you go to the Dogecoin website, they pretty much tell you that it has no value. Like they're telling you that they're not being deceptive about it at all. And but the the thing is, what what it's really doing is is, is digging into the philosophical reality that value is in the eye of the, of the beholder, right? Like, for example, um, when I was growing up, you know, uh, we, we made a joke. I remember my friend made a joke about how, you know, light-skinned women 
were always considered prettier, like the further south you went. Like you could literally have the face of a pot-belly pig, but if you were light-skinned, does anybody know what I'm talking about? Like if you were light-skinned, you were seen as prettier than dark-skinned, which is crazy, right? Thank God we got past that that backward thinking, or most of us did. Some people still think that way. And, uh, and so, you know, the, the thing about it is that that's an example of how just, you know, how your shape psychologically can affect how you value an asset. And when people value something, they demand something, then the market value goes up. Uh, and so, and, and, and actually it leads to even more deeper thinking I've had where I've actually explained how we support white supremacy. We, we support white supremacy because we demand um, that we get chances to like go work for white companies or go and attend white universities because we put a value on that. We, there's a premium we put on that, right? And, uh, and that's why we'll spend $100,000, $200,000 to go to a white university. We'll walk right past a black person who's trying to help us right, in another way. But we'll, go, we'll run to a white university and be glad to give them our money. And then they mistreat us and then we get mad. And then, but still, we, give the, we reward them by giving them more money. We reward their mistreatment by giving them more money. So that, how does that not make you a white supremacist, right? You're supporting a white supremacist system, right? White supremacy is any system. In my view, white supremacy is pretty much any system where white people are making the decisions. It's not where white people are being racist. It's, the racism part is almost secondary to it. It's about white people getting to make the rules and deciding to that because it's their house, they get to do what they want. If Harvard decides that Cornell West is not good enough to make tenure, it doesn't matter if 10 million black people disagree those 10 million people don't matter because that's a white supremacist institution. The white people that are in the centers of power don't want to, don't care what we think. So with that said, um, you know, if, if you, if you, if you kind of look at that, why did, why does Harvard or why do these universities have value? Well, because we demand, you know, we demand that asset. We, we, we put a premium on having that degree from Harvard or being accepted into that big white corporation. Like, like we value that. And because we value that, then the value goes up, Right. If we were to stop valuing white supremacy, if we were to stop demanding it and chasing after it, right, like almost like a, a, a woman begging for the love of a man who doesn't even like her very much. Uh, if you stop demanding something, then the value drops, right? Like crypto, Bitcoin, it, Bitcoin's all in the mind for the most part. If people stop demanding Bitcoin, Bitcoin's value will plummet, right? Uh, the reason Bitcoin's value keeps going up is because people are demanding it and more legitimate institutions are demanding it, right? Big, corp, big, you know, trillion dollar mutual funds are buying Bitcoin. So people are like, whoa, they're buying Bitcoin. Now you don't sit and actually figure out what the intrinsic value is. Only 1% of 1% of all people can even begin the process of, of defining what the intrinsic value of Bitcoin is. Most people are simply following the lead. Most people are simply engaging what David Hirschleifer refers to. David Hirschleifer was on my dissertation committee, very smart guy. <clears throat> and um, I think he came with the University of Chicago. And David Hirschleifer uh, talks about what they call herding effects, that basically the world's full of sheep, that people, you know, people will buy Bitcoin, not because they really know that the value has intrinsically gone up. Most people don't have the courage to say, oh, I'm going to go in that direction, even though the rest of the world is going in that direction. No, they look which way the wind is blowing. And because the value is growing from people that you respect or, or the demand is growing, then you demand it too. Next thing you know, the value goes up. So ultimately, the, the value of an asset is in the eye of the beholder. So just keep that in mind when you're looking at, you know, how you, how you choose to sort of move in the world. All right. And what you value. Your, your, your demand uh, for an asset has economic value. Never forget that. All right. Next question. Uh, Sadell Murray. I wrote a cover call on Monday set to expire Friday. Okay. So you wrote it Monday. It expires Friday. So right in the cover call, meaning you sold the call. Okay. The strike price was hit on the same day. Okay. So the strike price hit. I waited until the option expiration to collect the rest of my funds. Now, if you wrote the cover call 
you collected your funds when you wrote the call. So maybe you meant you bought a call. <clears throat> if you bought a call, then um, you then you could that, that what you're saying is when you got the funds on the date of expiration, that means that that you were able to exercise the option. Options do not have to be exercised in order for you to extract your value. So if you buy a call and the bright price of the asset goes up, you can instantly sell the option. You don't actually have to wait to exercise the option. You could just sell the option, right? And so, uh, you know, so what I, it sounds to me like you waited until the expiration date to collect your funds, which means you you said you wrote the cover call. I think you. it, it sounds to me like you might have actually bought the call. If you bought it, then that makes sense. If you wrote it, that doesn't make sense. Because when you write the call, when I write calls on Monday, I get the money on Monday. I don't get the money on Friday, right? Uh, so is there a way to collect my funds immediately once the strike price hits? Or must I wait until expiration of the contract? If you're talking about exercising an option that you purchase and you hit the strike price on the first day, you can pull your money out, but you do not want to exercise early on an option. The reason you do not want to exercise early is because when you do that, you're giving up value. You're giving up what is called time premium. Time, when they say time is money, time really is money. Time is literally theoretically, mathematically money. It equates to a dollar amount that you have just from the fact that you have time to see what's going to happen. So with an option, the more possibilities of all the different things that can happen, the more valuable time becomes because literally people will pay money just to wait it out and see what happens, right? Like a basketball game, you know, if you've got 30 minutes until the buzz, the final buzzer hits, then that's valuable, right? As opposed to having only, you know, 60 seconds, right? Like a football game when they, when the time starts to get short, then the best coaches are the ones who know how to manage that time because that time is incredibly valuable because only so many things can happen when you're running the two minute offense, right? But over, you know, if you got a whole half of football to play, anything can happen. So that's much more valuable. That's a better position to be in. If you're down by two touchdowns, you don't panic because you got a whole half to play. But if you're down by two touchdowns with two minutes to go, you start freaking out and you start, uh, you, you start kind of giving up and believing that you're probably not going to win. So with options, uh, the same thing is true. You, you, um, you know, you said you wrote a cover call. I'm going to go ahead and take the uh, chance to say that you probably meant to say that you bought a, bought a call because if you wrote a cover call, it's easy. I write the call. Um, I, I pick the strike. I pick the time to maturity. I sell that sucker. Boom. I got my money in my account. I sit back and wait and see what happens. If the price goes up and the option gets exercised, I don't have to do anything. Somebody comes and they collect my shares. They, you know, like Rumpelstiltskin coming to collect your firstborn child. And they say, okay, you agreed that if the stock price hit 25, you would sell at 25. Well, the price is 28. We're going to come buy your shares for 25. Here's your 25. Good luck to you. And you got your premium. So you're good. Right. So, so, uh, so that, that to me, that happens every on the, on the Friday when the option expires. And then what I do is I circle back on Monday and I figure out, okay, what am I going to do now with this extra cash I have? Right. Cause I don't have the stock anymore. If I sold the, the cover call and the call goes into, uh, into the money. Right. So I've got this extra cash. Uh, let me reinvest it in something else or in, in maybe buy back the same stock and do it, do the whole thing over again. Right. Now, if you, uh, if you bought the call, then what can happen is you hit the strike price on the first day. Let's say you don't even hit the strike. You don't even have to hit the strike to make money on a call. Never forget that. I buy deep out of the money calls all the time. Would that never come close to the strike price? But just the stock price going up and then the fact that there's that time premium there, meaning that anything can happen, you can still sell in many cases and make money without actually having an asset that can be exercised at that moment. Uh, but so because of that time premium, you do not want to exercise options early. So what you would do in that situation, if you hit the strike or you go to the point, the price point that you picked in advance, you might just sell the option and then just move on to something else. 
Um, you know, like I, I, I bought some options on Disney or something. And I think I picked a real high strike or something because I wanted the options to be cheap. But I gave myself a lot of time and Disney shot up. The option price shot up. I sold the option. I don't even know how the story ends. I don't care how the story ends. I just sold the rest of the story to somebody else. They can sit and wait and see what's going to happen. Remember, most options never get exercised anyway. I, you know, I, I, so I think about the options market as a little bit like the fact that, you know, the, 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 if you look at all the options that are out there, um, and every option requires a buyer and a seller. So all these trades are taking place, millions of trades. Um, you know, most of those options will never actually be exercised. And so um, exercising the option, you can think of it like uh, exercising the option versus buying the option. I, I think of it as almost like the difference between having sex versus making a baby. Lots of people have sex, but very few times when people have sex is a baby actually born. Right. But there are some people who say I'm having sex so I can have a baby. Right. Maybe that happens two or three times in your life and that's it. And, uh, and so with options, the same thing. There are people that will buy an option because they really want to own the stock. Right. Or they will write a cover call because they really want to let go of the stock. Right. They really want to engage in that trade. So so there's just two sort of different categories there. And the closer you get to the expiration date, the more it kind of gets real, the more you separate um, the, those who really want to exercise versus those who are just out here just having fun and speculating. All right. OK. All right. So next question. Um, let's see here. OK. By the way, this recording and also all the recordings of all the Q&As I've ever done uh, or most of them is uh, you can log in at the blackstockmarketprogram.com, T-H-E, the blackstockmarketprogram.com. And if you go there um, uh, at the top, there's the place where you can leave the question. I answer those questions first in our Tuesday meetings every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Uh, also in there, there is um, what Dr. Boyce is buying. So every week I do the video where I tell you about five stocks I like for the following week. So you can feel free to hop in there. And the thing is, most of the stocks I like to pick are stocks that have great long-term prospects. So you can actually go back and look at what I said the week before and the week before and the week before, and then find some stocks that you really like that you want to add to your portfolio. Um, if you have a portfolio, you're doing better than most people. All right. So Don Trailhead, if you were 95 years old with about 200K saved, where's the safest place where you keep that money other than a bank? Um, well, um, I wouldn't keep it in cash at home because it's going to decrease in value because of inflation. And also somebody can steal it from you. Um, you know, and let's see, you said we can't put it in a bank. Um, you know, maybe you can put it into an asset, you know, you put it into a safe asset. Like, uh, uh, you got treasury bills, you have, um, you have, uh, you know, certain stocks that, that pretty much move like treasury bills that they're not going to go too far up or too far down utilities or cash cow type companies that, that are making like Coca-Cola or something like you buy Coca-Cola stock. It's not going to move. It's only going to move so much. So, and it's very liquid. You can sell it just like that or some sort of stable mutual fund. Maybe the mutual fund invests in, in um, <clears throat> blue chip companies or bonds or something like that. Um, let's see. Next question. Um, Marcus Young. Hello, Dr. Boyce. My question is, does one have to own the actual shares of stock in order to execute a stock option sell? No, you don't. Um, there, there's covered calls where you actually own the stock and there's naked calls where you don't own the stock. Riding a naked call is probably one of the riskiest. It's not probably. It's definitely one of the most risky things you can do with your money. Um, I do not write naked calls. I do not recommend it. Um, the, that's a lot like short selling. Um, and if you remember with GameStop, when you had the short squeeze, the, the people that were doing the short squeeze got body slammed. They lost billions of dollars because they got caught with their pants down. And they're literally naked. Like literally you feel naked because if that price goes up, 
it can go up to infinity. And GameStop showed you that. GameStop went from like thirty dollars a share to three, you know, th- what three hundred, four hundred. I mean, that's a nightmare for these mu- for these um, investment companies. Uh, let's see here. My goal is to generate extra income. Ah, yeah. Um, I think writing call options is a great way to generate extra income. So feel free to go to stockoptionsmasterclass.com if you want to kind of begin that process. And at the end of this month, I'm going to do a special stock options weekend where I'm actually going to show you my personal process that I use. I'm breaking it down into a 12-step process. I really I took a year to develop this model because I really wanted to make sure that it. I, I'd seen it in a lot of different circumstances. And the problem I had was that the market was doing too good. I was making too much money. And I was like, no, I want to see what happens when the market has a bad week. And this week was a terrible week. This week, a lot of the options, the, the stocks, specific stocks I picked got just murdered. And so at that point, it was a matter of going through and figuring out, okay, what are the dynamics here? Like what happens here? What, you know, are you still generating income here? What's a great way to explain that? And so, uh, so this week was a really great week for in- information purposes in terms of me really sh- shaping and crafting the model. I like to build models. That's what scholars do. We just kind of do that stuff. And actually, um, if you want to see another thing that we had done, we did a, a, a stock market weekend where I put together something called the Dr. Boyce method, which is 12 steps that I use to decide which stocks to add into my portfolio. So if you want to go take a look, feel free to go to the Dr. Boyce method.com, the Dr. Boyce method.com. Don't forget the T-H-E. Um, it's, it's all right there. All right. So let's see. Next question. Kenneth Ward. Um, I've asked the question before and you probably answered it live during the lecture. I wish you could answer me be, by, via email. I wish I could too. I get a thousand emails a day. So I'm very sorry. I read too much email in uh, my brain. I become like an autistic kid when I get like overwhelmed with too much going on. Uh, my question is, is Bitcoin mining a scam? I've spent, I've sent 1500 with no profit to Bitcoin managers. I would have a profit of $500. They want more money. Yeah, I, I wouldn't mess with that, Kenneth. I, I would stay out of it, honestly. Um, I'm not telling you what to do, but I, I don't believe in that. I think if you don't understand what's going on, I'd be very careful about putting my money out there. Unless somebody you really trust, um, you know, vouches for it, I wouldn't mess with that, man. I, I would just take my money and invest it in another way. And I think Bitcoin mining is going to change tremendously. Um, it's, it's not going to be uh, the moneymaker that it used to be. Um, a lot of people are challenging Bitcoin mining because of just for, among other things, the, the environmental concerns, you know, uh, there's so much, it's weird how much energy is taken up when Bitcoin is mined. And, you know, like, it's like, it's like the amount of energy that would power an entire country. So when you get a situation like Texas, where they have that problem with the grid and people don't have their electricity, well, they're, they're going to be mad at the Bitcoin miners. They're going to be like, wait a minute, you're using all the electricity to do this thing over here. And it doesn't mean that that's true. It just means that they can be scapegoated. So I wouldn't get into Bitcoin mining unless I was a techie. Um, if you're not a techie and fully invested, I wouldn't mess with it, in my view. Uh, Kenneth asked, uh, I've asked, okay, wait, okay, you already, that's the same question, Kenneth. Kenneth submitted his question twice. You don't have to submit it twice. Just one time is enough. One time is enough. All right. Okay. Wait, so Kenneth submitted his question three times. Okay, Kenneth. All right. Let me keep going. Let's see here. Do, 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 do. Oh, wow. Okay. So that's four times. All right, so Kenneth's four and zero. Let's see if he goes five and zero. Oh, okay. We, he he four times. All right, one time is enough. All right. Um, let's see. Lewis says, uh, "Doctor Boyce, I'm using Cash App to invest so far. What do you think about that app? Can I do all my investing from there? I believe you can. Um, you know, I I don't know. Maybe the fees are slightly different or something like that. Um, I do believe once you get a significant amount of money, I I believe in spreading your money to different apps." just for diversification purposes, because the thing is what, you know, everything that affects 
the chances that something bad could happen to your money is a risk factor. So with investing, risk factors aren't just things like, you know, price fluctuations, right? That's that's a risk factor. But there's other types of risk. Like um, if you invest, you know, people that invest directly in other countries, they have what is called political risk. The risk that the country could, you know, could um, elect a new um, leader that decides to take over your factory and, and just claim it for state property. Um, if you uh, if you're a dope dealer, you know, you got all kinds of risk all around you that, that could be quantified. Right. Um, you know, the, the chances that your homies might might get popped by the police and snitch on you. Right. Like all these are risk factors that could they could take you down. So with um, investing on an app, you have risk factors related to the app itself. You know, what if the technology goes bad? What if they suddenly just tell you, oh, sorry, your balance is zero dollars and zero cents and your life savings was in there. Or what if um, they just block you from accessing your money? Like with Robinhood, there've been, you know, some complaints, not that Robinhood's terrible though, but some complaints about having trouble moving your money. I tried to move a bunch of money from Robinhood to Merrill Lynch. They made it really hard to do. And then when they explained it, it was a stupid explanation. It was like, well, because you have crypto in your portfolio, you can't transfer the rest of your portfolio. I was like, are you serious? I like, like 2% of my portfolio is crypto. Why can't I transfer the other 98%? They just, that's just their rule or that they, you know, or you remember when Robin Hood decided to just not let a certain stock be bought, right? Just, you know, when you can sell it, but you can't buy it. Well, a lot of people got mad about that, right? So um, I would consider other apps just to protect your money. Not so much because Cash App is bad, but because Cash App isn't everything. Um, That's just my two cents. Okay. And by the way, I don't know if you guys know this or not. Um, I actually play video games. I've been doing that a lot with my kids, and it's a great way. I find that there's a lot of you that, that actually pop in to my Twitch channel. And my Twitch channel is uh, twitch.tv slash Dr. Boyce Watkins. And I started playing video games because I wanted to connect with my son and my daughter, which is actually working. They both love it. We have a lot of fun. And I'm also connecting with a lot of you um, that like to play games. But also, you know, if you just want to come and hang out, what we do is we talk about stocks and stuff like that during the game. Or or you can put your questions in and I answer questions while I'm playing the game. So I can't do both at the same time because sometimes the audio is a little bit loud and you can't hear me talking. But what I do is I'll pause it every 10 minutes or so. And I'll look through and see if there are any questions. I'll answer all the questions and then I get back to playing again. So if you're into that type of stuff and you want to sort of watch me <laughs> learn how to play, uh, you can go to Dr. Boyce or sorry, twitch.tv slash Dr. Boyce Watkins. So uh, feel free to go. I, I, I practice every day. Uh, if I do something new, I'd like to be good at it. And so that's just something um, my son and I like to do. All right. So Lewis says, uh, Dr. Boyce, thanks for all you do. You are welcome. What do you think of the Motley Fool? I like the Motley Fool. Uh, have I heard of Snowflake? No. I, I, I think I've heard the term, but I don't know much about Snowflake. It says largest software IPO ever. That right there makes me skeptical because I do not like IPOs that are popular. It's like um anybody ever uh anybody ever had a um a thing where you didn't like dating like the most popular girl, the most popular dude in school, because there's always a risk that the person would just be like super arrogant and 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 significantly overinflate their own value and self-worth to the point where you would like end up dumping them because you just, they were an intolerable person. Well, I feel like IPOs are kind of like that. Like IPOs are the prettiest girl in, in school. They are the, the, the you know, the, the captain of the football team and everybody wants them and they know it and they use that to their advantage. Uh, what you'll notice is that whenever a stock or a company becomes a high flyer and big money's being made and crazy things are happening, you start to see that the companies were like, oh, this is great. Let's go and take advantage of the suckers. Let's go. Since everyone suddenly decided that we're worth all this money, let's go sell some stock. 
AMC. That's what saved AMC. When AMC took off, AMC said, yes, we're safe now. Everyone, remember, I told you how demand increases value. It wasn't because AMC became a better company. People just demanded it now. So they're like, yeah, we're more valuable now. So let's go sell some stock. When Elon Musk saw Tesla shooting through the roof, Elon Musk, God bless him, he's honest. You know, right? He said, he said, he said the price seems a bit high. <laughs> and, and then the price immediately plummets for various reasons. That's what they call signaling. Signaling is when the CEO signals to you information or an insider signals information to you that leads you to say, huh, maybe the price isn't what I thought it was. So, but but before Elon Musk told the world that Tesla was a bit high, he sold a bunch of stock. They put a little thing in their little, you know, the registration, like, hey, we might drop about $5 billion worth of shares out there and take advantage of the market while it's hot. So, um, so IPOs kind of do that. I'm not a fan of IPOs. Um, it's hard to talk me into investing in almost any IPO. I'd probably more be more interested in an IPO if it wasn't popular. I like the things that are not popular. That's just, but then again, maybe that's my bias. Um, let's say I want to buy a whole share of Amazon and hold it for three years or one whole share of a big company, say Alphabet. I'm still diversified. Well, Lewis, uh, you can own one 1,000 or one one hundredth anyway of a share of Amazon and still get the same benefit of owning Amazon stock. So don't feel like you have to own a whole share in order for it, you get the value. I know in Cash App, you can buy fractional shares. So don't feel like you got to wait that long. Uh, Douglas, I need to get life insurance instead of a living trust. Are there any black owned friendly businesses you can suggest? Um, well, as far as uh, getting life insurance, um, I work with the black insurance network.com, the T H E, the black insurance network.com It's run by a nice lady named Yolanda Spivey, who's been my friend for about 13 years. When you go to the black insurance network.com, tell Yolanda that I said hi and tell her I sent you and she'll be extra nice to you because you're family. Um, as far as the living trust, um, I know a few different lawyers. Uh, there's a lawyer that works in the Black Business School that's going to do a master lecture on estate planning. Kim Leah, Kim Leah Sherman, but she's in D- like Maryland or D.C. So you probably want to get a lawyer that's in your state. But Kim Leah is really good. Um, I had her come into the Black Wealth Bootcamp. And um, and that estate planning piece is really important because uh, when you start getting a little little something in your bank account, you actually have a little bit of wealth. You then have a new problem. Your new problem is how do you protect what you have? Um, 70% of all wealthy families lose all their wealth in one generation. So, uh, and 90% of those families lose all their wealth within two generations. So in order to make sure that you don't end up in that 90%, you've got to do what the 10% are doing, which is protecting your wealth. You know, with wealthy families, they definitely move different because they, they think of uh, protecting the family wealth almost the way you protect a nation. They're protecting a way of life. They're protecting the fact that their children or nobody in their family ever has to get a job for anybody anywhere. Um, none of my kids will ever have to work unless they want to. And uh, But the way they have to pay tithes to the family business or to our economic church is, you know, that you, you're going to have to come in here and hustle. You're going to come in here and, 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 and put in some sweat equity, manage some assets, um, and, and also you must have a loyalty to the family business. Uh, if you come in and you're disruptive or destructive, then you have to go. You can't be here. You know, you have to go out into the, the cold, you know, like like um, on Game of Thrones. You got to go beneath the wall or whatever because you can't be in the kingdom because you're, you're causing problems. So basically, um, I encourage you to think of it that way. Um, and actually, um, we have something uh, like a free lecture somewhere. Let me see. Let me see. I can get the U.S. Yeah. If you go to 100yearfamilyplan.com, 100yearfamilyplan.com, there's a free lecture I put together 
on that kind of thing. So feel free to go take a look at 100 year, the number 100, 100 year family plan.com. That's totally free. And, uh, it, you know, everything we do is designed to change your life. And I think I have the ability to do that. So, uh, if you sit through that, I think you're going to benefit from that. Barry Robinson. I subscribed. I got the first black business school 101 for $89 a month, but I don't know how to access the second lecture. And I think I subscribed for a year. Please help me. Okay. If you go to black, if you're talking about black money, 101, Barry, um, if you go to blackmoney101.com and you log in, you should have everything that's there. And uh, when I go to blackmoney101.com, uh, I'm looking at the screen right now. There's probably maybe uh, 50 lectures I put in here. Um, really good stuff that, that can benefit you. Um, it's an introduction to the power of money. We have a, a black money sequence that goes from 101 through 106. And so 101 is an introduction to the power of money where I help you just understand how money operates in a multitude of contexts. Um, it's great. It's great. Maybe if you have young kids in your family, especially that are just being introduced to how money works and why money makes the world go round and how money applies to their life and how to understand just the dynamics of where money's located, things like that, the cycles of wealth. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so all this is right here. If you have any trouble accessing anything, just email support at the black Our support team is right there. They're always waiting. They love talking to you. So feel free to hit them up. Um, let's see here. Uh, next question that I received from you guys. And by the way, I'm reading the questions that were submitted in advance. Uh, if you log in at the blackstockmarketprogram.com at the very top, there is a link that says, um, you know, how to send questions to Dr. Boyce. And if you send me the question, I will answer your question first in our Tuesday meetings. We meet every Tuesday. And, uh, let me see right here at the top. I'm looking here. It says, um, how to submit questions for this course. That's the very first uh, link in the top of your curriculum. Uh, and that's where you submit your questions. You get a link, you put your question there. I answer it first during our Tuesday session. And then the second one is invitation to weekly Dr. Boyce Q&A sessions. So basically that's what this is. Every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern, we get together, I answer your questions, and that's kind of how the cycle works. Okay, Ronnie. Um, let's see. Ronnie says, Hey, Dr. Watkins, I want to get your opinion on a company that I'm invested in called humble play ticker symbol TSNPD. They recently did a reverse one to four stock split that took my shares from 2,500 to 625. I feel like this is bad for me and invest as an investor. Am I wrong to feel that way? Do you think this company is worth holding on to? Okay. So humble play. First of all, let me just say, I've never heard of that company before, but you gave me a little bit of information. I'll tell you what I know based on what you just told me. When a company does a reverse stock split, that is typically bad for signaling what that's doing what what some people there's different theories on stock splits first of all stock splits aren't supposed to mean anything right theoretically they're not they're like dodgecoin they're not supposed to actually have any sort of relevant meaning when it comes to the value of the company but they do investors react to them because as i told you uh valuation is in the eye of the beholder if the beholder does not see the value then it's not real if the, if the beholder sees the value then it becomes real right so investors see something in stock splits that makes it real. Like when Apple split their stock, the stock went up. And a lot of that is due to a theory called signaling. I, I mentioned it earlier. Signaling basically says that I'm signaling to you. I, look, I'm the company's manager. You don't know. If I'm Tim Cook, I know a whole lot more about Apple than you do. I know what deals we're making. I know what negotiations we're in. I know what prospects we have. I'm sitting in every board meeting, you know, figuring out the future of Apple. You don't know any of that. You're on the outside looking in, but you're an investor. So you're a partner with me because your, your wealth and your fate, your economic fate is tied to mine. So what do people do when they're trying to figure out what's going on with Apple? 
Well, they look at the actions of the, the managers. They, they, you know, when if the managers come out of the meeting, they're all happy, like, yeah, we're going to make money. Woo-hoo. Well, then that would make you say, oh, yeah, this is going to be good. I don't know why, but it looks like it's going to be good. Or if they, or if they engage in actions of, that, that exhibit confidence, like, for example, if they buy their own stock back, then the price goes up because they're like, wait a minute. OK, so you're buying more Apple stock and you know more about Apple than I do. So I'm going to just follow you. I'm going to follow you down the cubby hole because whatever, wherever you're chasing, it must have it must be something good. It's like when I play Call of Duty on my Twitch channel. Um, and when, when my son, my son's better than me. So whenever I see him run off in a certain direction, I run off after him because I'm like, I don't know what's going on, but wherever he's going, there must be something good over there. I'm just following on faith, right? Because he knows more about the game than I do. Well, the same thing is true about the investing game. Like when the company knows more about or the managers know more, more about that company than you do. So when they start buying their own stock back, investors start buying it because they're like, okay, well, I don't know why you're doing it, but whatever you're doing, there must be a reason for this. Uh, and so the same thing is true with stock splits. So when a company splits their stock, they're taking the value of the stock and they're chopping the price down, right? They're, they're going from, you know, Apple, I don't know what Apple stock split was, maybe it was four for one or something like that. So let's say they went from uh, $400 a share to chopping each share into four pieces. You still own the same dollar amount. They, so now instead of having one share worth $400, you have four shares worth $100 a piece. Well, a lot of people interpret that as Apple saying, look, we're going to chop our stock price because we need our price to remain within a certain trading range, uh, which creates what they call the clientele effect. Like like when you have your stock in a certain range, it theoretically, I don't know if this is as true as it used to be, say, in the 80s and the 90s, because now you have you know fractional shares. But But you have a clientele. Like Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway, he has a class of shares that trade for like a quarter million dollars or something ridiculous like that. And that's and, and they could do a stock split. They could do like a, a, you know, a thousand to one stock split and each share would be 250 bucks. But they didn't do it because they, they're like, look, we don't want people in, in, you know, in our company who are going to vote for things that don't make any sense. Not everybody believes in democracy. Uh, Socrates actually used to say, I think it was Socrates or Plato, one of those, one of those white guys that stole all their knowledge from Africa, by the way. Uh, <laughs> but but he didn't like democracy because he said, why should stupid people be allowed to vote? He said, look, you shouldn't let, allow people who don't know what's going on to decide the direction of the country, right? And And literally, believe it or not, he was actually executed because they voted on whether he was guilty or not. They had trumped up charges and they took a vote a bunch of, among a bunch of people and whether or not he's guilty. And he lost the vote by a narrow margin. So they killed him. So literally he was maybe right that, that maybe in some cases democracy isn't the best approach because you, you need a certain degree of, um, of informativeness among the voting public. Now, what does that mean in terms of companies? Well, there are some CEOs like a Warren Buffett who feel like, look, Everybody should not be an owner in my company because at the very least, everybody should not have the right to vote on what we're going to do. We know what's going on. We understand this company. You just sit back and let us make the decisions and we'll make the right ones. Um, uh, was it uh, that that app, uh, not TikTok, the other one, Snapchat, the Snapchat CEOs, when they released their shares, they said, we do not want shareholders voting on our company. We know what's best for our company. If you want to be on this ride, then buy um, then buy some shares and get on the ride. But we're driving the car completely. You're going to ride in the trunk. You, you, you're going to go exactly where we go, where we go, but you are not going to touch the steering wheel because we're not going to have you turning us into Facebook. And that, cause that's what happened. A lot of people feel that Facebook became a worse company when they went public because they were sort of, uh, changing their model constantly to fit the whims of these shareholders who didn't care about, you know, how the impact on the world that Facebook would have in terms of how they operated or how many small businesses would get crushed when they changed the algorithm. They just wanted to make money. 
Right. So ultimately, um, when you're talking about, uh, you know, these, this, this uh, reverse split, going back to this brother's question, Carl asked, uh, sometimes I go all the way around the world to answer a question, but, but hopefully I can bring you back and help you see a bigger picture. The, the four, the one to four reverse split probably caused a drop in the stock price because that's a bad signal. A stock split, like a four to one, where they were actually chopping the price would be a positive typically in the stock price. It's not always true, but in most cases it's true. Um, a reverse split where you're actually pulling the shares together, um, you know, uh, that that's seen as a negative signal, right? So um, ultimately I would say uh, be very careful, um, but also remember this, when you're investing in stocks, think of stocks like herds of animals. Like, it, you know, if you're looking at the African uh, of the Sahara desert or, you know, some plain in Africa where you've got all these different animals, the animals run in herds. You've got the Buffalo over here and all the Buffalo are different from the zebras, but not, but no two Buffaloes are alike, but you, you see the whole herd of Buffalo. You see the whole herd of zebras. You see the whole herd of giraffes. Um, stocks are the same way. You've got stocks that are similar, but no two stocks are alike. And investing should be done in herds and in packs, not in individual companies, because that one water buffalo that you pick could die. That one lion you pick could could be the sickest lion in the in the in the pride. So, but if you invest in the whole herd of lions, then they're all kind of going in the same direction, and you kind of see what's going on there. So, so don't get caught up in this whole um, gambling environment of oh yeah, I got this really great stock. It's going to just make you rich. That's not how pe- That's not how investing typically works. It doesn't mean you can't have some fun, but remember that there's a difference between speculation and investing. A lot of investors, um, so-called investors, or a lot of people that constantly buy options and sell them, they don't know this, but they're becoming gambling addicts because the same dynamics that occur at a casino are exactly what's occurring when you look at companies like Wall Street Bets and all that stuff. So just be careful. That's That's my two cents. All right. Uh, Carl Brown says, Carl here from Chicago, but lives in LA um, with 20K liquid and 15K in debt. Should I invest before I fix credit, vice versa, or do both at the same time? I think you could do both at the same time. And I don't think you necessarily have to pay the debt off first. If it's high yield debt, meaning if it's very expensive debt, meaning high interest rates, you know, things like that, um, you're going to, you're going to get your butt kicked on the interest. So it's very important for you to, um, consider getting rid of that debt um, because that becomes a monkey on your back. But if it's something like student loan debt, you know, and your interest rate is very low, then why not leave the debt there? I'm not telling you to do it, but I'm saying a lot of companies have, most great companies have debt on the books and they're not in a rush to repay the debt. This whole idea that you're, that you're financially healthier because you're debt free is wrong. That's just stupid. I don't know. I'm not stupid. Let me just, I don't want to say it like that because I, I'm disagreeing with people like Dave. I think I heard Dave Ramsey kind of push people to be like zero debt, completely out of debt. Now, if you want to be out of debt because that makes you feel better, that's fine. But if you're really moving and shaking and trying to grow, debt helps you grow. I have debt and I have debt sitting there and I'll say to Alicia, I'll say, yeah, I've got this debt, you know, that's just sitting there. She'll be like, well, why don't you pay it off? Because you got the money. And I'll be like, because my money's working over here. I need my money working on this. And I'm, the debt will be there. I'll pay the debt later because I'm, I'm paying 4% over here, but I'm making 30% over there. So I'm going to make the, I'm not going to give up 30% to go get rid of four. Right. Do you see what I mean? Like you don't, you don't shoot a mosquito with a shotgun, right. Or, or with a sledgehammer or with a nuclear weapon, right. You, you, you wait. And then eventually when I get to the point where I, maybe for security reasons, I, I want less debt or whatever, then maybe I'll go and take on the debt, but you don't have to kill off your debt. Um, debt, debt is a wonderful thing if you use it the right way. All right. So Elijah Cox, uh, why would I write a call and buy it back? Um, 
maybe because the price changed a lot. If the if you if you roll a call out a call with strike that's a call, an out of the money call that has a higher strike price and the price just plummets, then your call option is going to drop in value, but you still get to keep your premium. So you might so some people will buy that option back and sell another one. Um, do I buy it back from the buyer I originally had the contract with? Um, no, you don't have to buy it. You don't buy it. You don't buy it from a particular person. You just buy it. And then the, the middleman takes care of the rest. Um, should you still invest in the stock market if you have outstanding student loan debt? Um, well, we talked about that uh, earlier. So um, obviously the answer is no. I, I, I think this idea of waiting for the rest of your life to pay off your student loans before you can do anything fun is absolutely the worst punishment that you can give yourself. Like, who wants to wait till you're 65? I mean, understand this. I've said it before. I got to say it again. Half of all Black college graduates cannot pay their debt, right? Uh, half of all Black college graduates default on their student loan debt. That's why your Black wealth is dropping, is because we we, we, were, we were trained to go into the student loan debt trap. And so what's going to happen is uh, a lot of people are going to be fooled into believing that an adequate type of reparations will be to eliminate student loans when really student loans to some extent are invalid to begin with, right? So in a way it's like this, let's say I owe you a million dollars, right? And let's say that you come to dinner at my house and we, we and I say, let's talk about it. Let's come on, come on by. And, and I'm going to talk to you a little bit. I'm going to give you some investing advice or whatever. And we eat dinner and then you leave and I, I send you a bill and I say, Oh, by the way, that dinner we had, um, that investing advice, I, you owe me $200,000, right? You, so that's, so that's added to the million that I already owe or that, or sorry, the million that I owe you, um, 200,000, uh, is going to be repaid because I'm not going to charge you for the investing advice I gave you. We're clearly sitting down with me for an hour is not worth $200,000. Maybe I can make you $200,000 if it's the right situation, but it's not, that would be crazy for me to charge you that. Right. So let's say you come to me and you say, boys, you know, you owe me a million dollars. And I, I could say, well, okay, okay, I, I get it. I hear that. I hear that. So what I'm going to do is I'm not going to pay the whole million, but I will eliminate that $200,000 debt that you owe me. I'm going to eliminate your student loan of $200,000, and now I'll only owe you $800,000. How about that? Well, if you're a sucker, you'll fall for that. I mean, if, you, if you're not thinking, you're going to say, oh, thank you. You just gave me $200,000. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. Mm-mm. I, t- I created something imaginary. I created a problem and I solved it for you and then got you to thank me for solving an imaginary problem. Do you follow what I'm saying? Like, because I shouldn't have been charging you $200,000 in the first place for that consultation. Right. Um, and so student loans are like that in that category. You know, when, when you hear people say, Oh, well, well the reparations, uh, if they forgive student loan debt for black people, that'll be huge for reparations. Well, the the, pro, the you know the way I think you know in terms of going a little bit deeper on it is I say well no actually that debt was invalid in the first place because you shouldn't be charging people seventy thousand dollars a year to go to college anyway like that's ridiculous right so the reparations to me has very little to do with student loans I understand the need to get rid of that debt because it's 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 really um um hamstrung a lot of our people to the point where they can't move forward your credit's all messed up you don't have the cash you need you're stuck in a job you're like a sharecropper that's what sharecropping is sharecropping was not slavery for slavery sharecropping was when you got trapped into slavery because your debt was so high that you had to go plow the field to massa in order to continuously acknowledge this debt that will never be repaid you are filling a void that will never be filled well the same thing happens with student loan debt you you get trapped with this big debt you, have, you then go start plowing fields for Massa, except you're, you're in a corporate office now, and so you don't feel like you're a sharecropper, but you are. 
and uh, and you're you're paying back into this impossible void that's literally going to enslave you economically until you grow old and die. Maybe your loans get paid off by the time you're 70 and then the game's over and you can't go do all the fun things we talk about because you spent your whole life addressing this thing that should never have existed in the first place. So to tell you what I did, um, I had student loans too. I got pulled into that same little thing. Uh, and uh, what I did was I said, you know what? I don't care. Uh, I, I did a couple. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm not, don't do like me. Don't do what I did. Right. Do, do not be like me. Let me just tell you the story, though, so we can just kind of look at it from a certain perspective. I said, I don't care about the loans. I don't care about my credit. I did. I let my credit. My credit went straight to hell. My credit was my credit score was so bad. <clears throat> if you asked me what it was, I'm like, I don't know. It's, it's bad. Because what I understood was if I got the cash, then who cares what my credit score is? If I, I everything I needed, I bought it with cash. That was actually good. It kept me from getting, you know, financially fat. I wasn't picking up debt because I couldn't really get it, right? Uh, and so, so, uh, and then what I said is I'm going to focus on one thing, that one thing that will solve everything. Uh, it, it makes me think about when Tiger Woods' dad, Tiger Woods, he went to his father when he was young, when he first started playing golf, and he got this $100 million Nike contract. So he had a bunch of haters and, and all skeptics, and people were like, why are you paying this young kid all this money? He hasn't won a tournament yet. And, all, and, and everybody was talking crazy about Tiger in the media, and it was bothering him. And you know what his dad said? His dad said, son, that's why Tiger needs his daddy. Tiger and Kanye lost their mind when they, when they, when their um, parent died. Um, he said, son, just put the ball in the hole. He said, just put the ball in the hole. If you put the ball in the hole, all your problems will go away. Well, most of them anyway. Right. And that's what he did. He put the ball in the hole and all that, all that criticism, all that noise, all that chaos went away. Right. Well, the same thing was true there. I said, um, instead of being rattled about student loan debt and worried about credit scores and worried about this and worried about that, I need to just put the ball in the hole. I need to figure out how to go make some money. If I figure out how to go make money, then I can, I can, you can buy your way out of almost any problem in that particular context anyway, right? Not everything can be bought, but you get the point. Money's very powerful. So um, I figured out how to make money. Once I made money, and one day I sat down with my accountant, I said, okay, I got this crazy credit score. Let's go fix it. Let's go and let's go and appeal the debts and, and negotiate and pay them off. And you know what happened? My credit score started going right now. It's now it's, you know, I don't know what it is, it's, but it's high. Right. I don't take, I still don't take on a lot of debt. I buy real estate, but I don't go deep. I don't buy, I don't, I don't, I personally don't like a lot of debt. And then um, the student loans, um, I said to myself, I said, this mass of student loans, if I paid this back by taking a percentage of my paycheck for the next 25 years, um, I'll pay this debt off by the time I'm like 60. I said, I don't want to wait that long to start living my life. But if I make money, then I can attack the debt in big chunks, right? If I'm a business owner and I'm making money on a systematic level, um, then I have more options and opportunities than I would as an employee simply waiting for my boss to give me a raise. And so once my income rose, the student loan debt is no longer, it's not intimidating. It's like, okay, yeah, I could write a check and get rid of it all, you know, like that, right? So what I'm saying to you is I think, if you're black and you're trying to solve the same problems that many of us are trying to solve in our lives, the best thing somebody could show you as a kid and the best thing you could teach your children is how to make some money. It just, I mean, make it legally and ethically, um, which, which requires, you know, the development of systems, uh, delegation, understanding technology, maxing out their talent level and not getting them caught in that weird little employee student loan debt trap that so many millions of our best and brightest are caught into. We have a weird paradox. A lot of our smartest scholars and you know thinkers, uh, they became that way 
by going to big white universities that saddled them with a ton of debt and did not teach them how to make money. So your best so-called your best intellectual athletes are actually bench warmers because they they don't they, because they actually can't really play the game at the level that's that they can actually play that like they're showing up to the game with one leg and one arm and 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 but these are these are your talented tenth right so I think a new talented tenth needs to emerge where you have people that uh, that can circle around the debt learn the skill of making money at an early age uh, understand the power of ownership and these are the people that are going to actually lead uh, the community into a position of true power. Uh, because I don't care how many degrees you have, if you're working under that company and working for that guy and you're sitting under on this ton of student loan debt that you can't repay, you're only so powerful. You're not very powerful at all. In fact, you're not and you're not very free because all your time and energy is going to be sucked away from you as you're working to repay this this slave debt that you acquired when you were young. So you got to think outside the box. Uh, there, there's nothing in the public school system that gives the blueprint for black liberation. You got to write that on your own. You got to get it from people that really care about you and want to see you actually succeed in this way. Okay. So anyway, let me keep going. Um, all right. So Elijah, would it be advantageous to take out a personal loan to invest in the stock market? Um, be careful with that. Uh, make sure the interest rates are not too high. And, um, but people do it. People do it. Um, Robin, unless you trade on margin. So, you know, I, I don't, I'm not going to say it's a bad thing. Just be very careful though. And just know what goes up can come down. That's the key. Bristol, what what's up, Doc? Any thoughts on the rise in Viacom CBS stock? Um, I don't know much about Viacom CBS. I haven't followed. Um, maybe they're part of the standard uh, cyclical recovery play that's occurring right now um, as markets get better and as the economy gets better. Uh, Doc Grant, uh, what's good, Doctor? Can you explain the difference between selling a call versus buying a call? Yeah, I mean selling versus buying. If you if I you know remember every option that is purchased must be sold by someone. If nobody sells it, then you can't buy it. It's like a guy saying, you know, I went out and I had and you know, I slept with a I slept with a girl today, and somebody's like, well, which girls did you sleep with? And it's like, well, there were no girls there, and you know, well, you didn't sleep with a girl. You 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 know you, that 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 can't happen. Like someone in order for you to go sleep with a girl, a girl has to be there, right? So in order so a buyer in order for a person to buy an option, a seller must be there. Right. You can't say I bought it and nobody sold it. That's not possible. The market must always balance in that way. And so um, if you sell the option, you get the premium. If you buy the option, then you're paying the premium. OK, so let me see here. Um, someone says, how do you know if a stock is not worth the price? Um, that is a deep philosophical question. I think listening to analysts can be very beneficial to you. Um, that that can go a long way. Um, so do a little bit of research on it. But truth is, you really don't know for sure. Um, you know, you just, you know, get information and sort of pick asset classes that kind of work for you. If you go to what Dr. Boyce is buying, which is um, if you log into the black stock market program dot com, what Dr. Boyce is buying, I give you justifications in terms of why I'm buying certain stocks. And um, and, and a lot of people just listen to what analysts say or what you know experts say. That way you don't have to do the whole guessing game. Um, are you able to show us live on how to buy call and put options? Yeah, if you go to stockoptionsmasterclass.com, we cover all that. So stockoptionsmasterclass.com, um, that's right there um, in the Black Business School. Uh, Pamela Benson, how do you learn how to navigate your many websites? I'm sometimes confused by accessing some of your information. Um, yeah, I tend to be a little bit all, you know, mentally kind of um, high energy. I wouldn't say scatterbrained. I hope I'm not scatterbrained, but I have a lot of thoughts that go through my head and, I, and a lot of information I want to share. And so sometimes it's hard for me to put it in a concise, neat little format. Um, I know that doesn't always work with the world, but um, but I'm doing my best. <laughs> so if you have any confusion about anything, uh, you can email support at theblackbusinessschool.com and we've got specialists right there that you can talk to. Um, and also, 
Uh, some of you are asking about uh, things like getting your kids ready, investing wise and stuff like that. Well, that's uh, blackmillionairesoftomorrow.com, blackmillionairesoftomorrow.com. I'm very proud of that program uh, because the kids that come out of that program, they go through all the modules and everything. They actually, even at the age of 10, have a uh, financial literacy level that exceeds the average college educated adult. So if you go to blackmillionairesoftomorrow.com, you can feel free to take a look. Um, I guarantee you it'll probably be the best investment in your child's education that you'll ever make. If you just sit down with them or have somebody sit down and take them through the modules, they'll be set for life. They will literally at seven, eight years old, be ahead of, you know, like grownups. Like I'm, 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 I'm not kidding. Like this is not hard, hard to do. You know, this is my thing. This is what I, what I teach. All right. Uh, so let's see here, Pamela, I was told by Robin hood that a transfer could only be initiated by my other brokers and that it will cost $75. How much of a portfolio is safe to keep with them? Yeah, Robinhood makes it tough to transfer. So, um, you know, I don't know if $75 is a big number for you or a small number, but just know, yeah, Robinhood makes it tough to transfer. And um, and I keep a decent portfolio with Robinhood, but it's with the understanding that I need to have money in other places too. So don't have all your money in Robinhood, in my view. What do you know about URBT, a black-owned stock? No, I don't know anything about them. I'm going to look them up. Um, URBT. Are they on the pink sheets, like over the counter, or are they in New York Stock Exchange, NASDAQ, or what? Uh, from Kenneth, Dr. Boyce, what are your thoughts about the Forex market to generate money? Forex is a difficult, F-O-R-E-X is a difficult, it's a very liquid market, very active market, very exciting market, but very difficult market to make consistent um, ROI. So um, I'm not saying don't do Forex, I'm just saying that it's a whole different animal, and there's a reason why I don't do um a lot of Forex um, training and stuff like that. Um, I am going to put together a Forex process and curriculum and bring in some experts and kind of talk through it because I understand it. Like, you know, I, you, you get a PhD, you learn all this stuff, um, but it's just not something that excites me. I don't see that as, as the easy money grab that, you know, like the options market can become or the stock market can become. All right. Uh, let's see here. Um, Kristen, how do I transfer my XRP to another account? Um, yeah, I, I will Google that, but I, I have something with the gentlemen of crypto that come in and they talked about that. Um, if you look up the, the conversation that we had, um, that's there, if you're in the black wealth bootcamp, we, they also came into the black wealth bootcamp and talked to the students about some of that stuff. Yeah. XRP it's it's tough to you. Like you can't do anything with it in Coinbase. And, um, and I think you can go and you can, but you can log into Coinbase online and transfer it to another exchange that would then allow you to pull it out and, 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 and pull it out as money. Um, I, I had that same issue. I've chose to just hold on to it. But what's fascinating is XRP, despite the fact that it's going through the whole SEC investigation, keeps going up in value. So it's very weird. I don't know where that's going to go. Um, Milton, what brokerage or app do you recommend to start buying stock? Uh, looking at Fidelity, Schwab, and Stash. You can't go wrong with any of those. Those are all great companies. Um, I can't recommend one or the, over the other. I just think I, I think they're all very good. Uh, so you're heading you're in the right direction, in my view. Looking at Coinbase for cryptocurrency. Yeah, I think Coinbase is okay. They charge a little bit more in fees than some of the other exchanges. So my crypto enthusiast friends don't like Coinbase as much, but I, I, I own assets on Coinbase. I don't think that's a bad thing. All right. Uh, let's see. You're the best, Dr. Boyce. Thank you for your all your knowledge, expertise, and compassion for our community, says Dynasty Brian. Well, thank you, Dynasty Brian, for your kind words. I really appreciate that very much. And um, it's very nice just to see so many Black people now interested in economics and wealth building and stocks and stuff like that. When I first started, you know, nobody, was, you know, I don't say nobody, but a lot of people were not interested. I had to talk people into understanding like why investing in money was so important. Um, and uh, I've seen the, I've seen the shift in the culture. 
in the last, you know, 15 years. And it's great. You know, now you've got a lot of people that are talking about it. The rappers are rapping about it. When the rappers started rapping about it, I knew that was a win. I knew that when the rappers started rapping about it, I said, okay, we got it now. Now black people are going to take over the game because when we get inspired by something like that, we just become really good at it and the best at it. So my, my prediction is that by the year 2070, when your children have grown up and when your children's children are adults, um, black people will actually become uh, kind of a segment of the black community will become similar to what the Jewish community um, is, you know, to the world. The Jews are, are beautiful in terms of being able to harness power. Like I, I admire that immensely. Like I, you know, sometimes it sucks because sometimes they, they become, a, they, they, some of the people can become abusive, right. And a little bit racist, but because you saw what they did to Nick Cannon, right? <laughs> but but I, I I'm inspired by it. I'm like, okay, how does this tiny little group of people have so much power? It's because they teach their kids ownership early. They teach their kids investing early. They teach group economics early. They teach powernomics concepts early. So they they they're just on on lock in terms of locking down money and power. That's why um, a third of your Supreme Court justices have been from that same community in the last hundred years. Um, that's why they, you know, many of the banks in, in Hollywood and, and, and multi-billion dollar funds are controlled by a specific group of people because that's what they focus on. Just like, you know, we dominate in basketball and football and, and entertainment. Um, you know, but we don't, unfortunately we're on the labor, labor class side. We're not, we don't understand the managerial ownership side, but I just really think that once we kind of expand on that, I think we're going to be really good at what we do. I have a lot of, we have a lot of reason to be very optimistic. And um, I believe the people are going to be talking about us, you and I, our group, our collective as, as a black economic revolution that they're going to discuss for the next two or 300 years. This is when it's all really going to flip. Like, I really think this is really going to be beautiful. All right. So let's see here. Um, Philip Wright, uh, good morning. I have some money to invest in businesses just so I, I make a calculated risk choice in the business investment. Shall I hire a consultant? Oh, you already asked that question earlier. Yeah, um, I think if you're investing in another business, I would definitely get a consultant. There are consultants out there that will work with you on how to you know, buy a business properly. And uh, be, I mean, don't let them charge you insane amounts of money. But let's say they even charge you five dollars or $10,000. Well, if you're buying a big business and going to put a bunch of money into it, it might be worth it, you know, because um, I, I did a, a one-on-one. I got to I tell you something, I'm going to go, but I did a one-on-one consultation with a student one time who told me that he had just made his first real estate deal for $750,000 and he could not get out of the deal. He took his whole life savings and put it into a real estate project that was easy money, guaranteed money. I hear that all the time. It ain't guaranteed till the money's in your bank account. Just know that. Just Just a little piece of game for everybody. Take it from a guy who's I'm, I'm in OG status now, right? I've made all the mistakes, a lot of them, um, and and done done some things right. Nothing is guaranteed until it's done. Like I, I don't care how good it sounds, how convincing people are, words mean nothing until you see action and results. I, I'm not, I cannot emphasize that enough. Do not ever get caught up in oh this is going to be great. We're going to look at how much money we're going to make. You're just going to be in for a world of disappointment, you know. So he put his money into this deal and, um, and I was kind of like, and he was like, how do I get out of it? And I was like, God, I wish you had a time machine so you could go back and we could have had this consultation before you made this deal. Because the first thing I would have told you is after you talk to me, let's find you a real estate expert who can walk through this with you with their eyes and their mind and their experience and, and point out the problems with this deal. Um, because, when you when you hire a consultant, you're not hiring, you're not paying for their time. You're paying for their expertise. You're paying for time that they've already put into making all the mistakes and spending a decade learning the things that you may never know. 
Like that's what you're paying for. So if you're doing a big deal and it's going to cost you a lot of money, then yeah, get help, get help. You know, um, the program, the, the thing that we were doing black experts weekend, um, which by the way, we had 30, the 30 black experts that came into the black business school. Uh, and it was a great event. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, and, and the recording, by the way, is blackexpertsweekend.com. So feel free to go to blackexpertsweekend.com. It's I, I'm telling you, it's, it's powerful, but you know, the, the, the thing that's powerful about talking to experts and things like that is that it saves you so much time. It saves you so much stress, so much grief, and so much money. You will spend so much time and so much money figuring that on your own that, you know, like, sure. Yeah. I mean, maybe there's something that someone says, hey, you know, I, I'm teaching how to do X, Y, Z. And you're like, oh, I don't want to pay that $2,000 or whatever. Right. And, and you, you, I can do it on my own. So, OK, you do it on your own and you might do it on your own. But let's say it takes you five years to figure out, you know, something that they could have told you in an hour or in 20 minutes. Well, then you've wasted five years of your life and you've probably wasted a lot of money because you're not going to do it right the first time. You're going to spend money on a lot of misses. You know, um, like I talk all, all the time about publicists. How many times like we had a PR expert that came into Black Experts Weekend. And uh, and one of the things she she heard me tell the story where I said, you know, I would hire these publicists and they would rip me off. They would take my money and not give me results. And it took me a while to learn how to find a good publicist or whatever. It took me about four years to figure that out. And she said, oh, yeah, I wish I could have heard that because I could have helped you in the beginning. Like I could have given you the information on what to look for. So you could have saved yourself all of this grief. So be careful about this whole do it yourself mindset that we get trapped into. Um, I think doing it with a mentor is almost always better when you talk about anything that you don't understand. Like, um, like I started, you know, doing the whole video game thing with my son just for fun on my Twitch channel. Well, first thing I did was I started looking for mentors. I started looking for people who understand how to play the game so that I'm not spending all this time learning. Now, and this is just a video game. When you talk about the real game, the game of life, the game of global economic power, the game of, 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 of the game that's going to matter most when it comes to you feeding your family. You need coaches, you need guides, right? So go get those guides, you know, don't, don't be scared. Remember you spent, some of y'all spent 50, a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand dollars going to college and they can't guide you to, to nothing involving like real assets and real money. So when you run into that situation where some millionaire is offering some class, that's maybe three grand or something where they can, where they literally can break down every ounce of the game for you. Um, I would consider it. I'm not saying sometimes we can't do it, whatever, that's fine. But I would consider it. Um, I, I'm a big believer in that. Lamar Tyler has made millions of dollars doing all kinds of stuff. And the first thing Lamar did was Lamar, Lamar literally took a lot of his savings and put twenty or $25,000 into just learning, like studying under anybody he knew that knew how to do the things he was trying to do. And now Lamar Tyler has gotten 100 times more than what he put in. So that's just my thought. Rethink education. Um, I, I think that uh, there's a better way to do it. All right. So uh, don't forget, if you log in uh, to the blackstockmarketprogram.com, uh, you can actually uh, submit your questions in advance. So uh, feel free to go to the blackstockmarketprogram.com. And also there's more curricula there. I'll be putting some more stuff in there this week. And also, if you want the recording of the Black Experts Weekend, you can still get the recording. I think the discount's over, but you can get the recording at blackexpertsweekend.com. It's really good. It's really worth it. And also, if you just want to join the program, um, Al Duncan and Lawrence, my brother, have this program called Black Experts Weekend. And I contribute to the program as well. And it's all about people that have a skill or an expertise and they want to be able to monetize that. Um, that is a, that is an art. That is an art. And it, and it's, uh, you know, Al's really good because Al actually has made millions of dollars giving speeches. That's his, that's his specialty. 
Um, I can talk about things like creating online classes or if you want to be a, an influencer in your field, whether it's psychology or, you know, or history or whatever, whatever it is that you want to do. Right. I can sort of talk you through that. And uh, and that's a really good program. So if you want to go take a look, feel free to go to blackexpertsempire.com. Uh, it's, it's really good. All right. So I'm out of here, guys. Uh, have a good day. And it was uh, fun talking to you. And I'll see you next Tuesday, 11 a.m. Eastern. And uh, happy investing. And I hope you make a trillion dollars this week. So I'll see you guys soon. Take care. Bye-bye.